lives. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to John chapter 1. We're going to continue. I'm going to try to help keep us focused through this season by this, uh, this series called Light of the World. Last week, we looked at the prophecies that were given about the Messiah. And we looked at how Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies. There's some different idea of how many prophecies, how many, how much of the Old Testament is actually, um, you know, were prophecies about Jesus, about the Messiah. But conservatively, I think there was probably somewhere in the neighborhood, there's in the neighborhood 300 prophecies. So Old Testament prophecy given about the Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies. We looked at it last week and, you know, even if one person were able to or did fulfill just eight of those prophecies, eight prophecies that were given about the Messiah. They're specific enough where he would be born, virgin birth, where he'd start his ministry, the kinds of things he would do, what his ministry would look like. I mean, there's, there's specifics, okay? His name. So that one person would do, would fulfill eight of those. The mathematical probability is like a billion to one or something. It's ridiculous. I'm not a math major. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's an astronomical number, okay? So the idea that Jesus um, was the Messiah, we can have a great deal of confidence in that because he did fulfill all of those prophecies. And so what a great uh, salvation. So we looked at that last week. This week, our focus is on an indistinguishable light. Jesus came into the world to bring light to the world, to reveal to us who God is. And that light is inextinguishable is what we're going to be looking at today. Our key verse is John chapter 1, verse 5. If you want to turn to John chapter 1 in your Bible or on your phone, in your app, um, that's where we'll start off this message. But this is what John chapter 1, verse 5 says. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never um, extinguish it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for revealing the truth of who you are to us. Thank you for making it possible for us to experience the light of Christmas, to see the light that you have brought into the world, for us to experience that same awareness and awakening and openness in our lives to see who you really are, to see who we really are, and to um, be able to experience life as you meant it. So I pray that you guide us through this service, God. Teach us, help us to um, connect with you through your word and, um, on this day. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So light's real interesting. You know, light is an electromagnetic wave. Light travels at about 186,282 miles per second. So it's very, you know, it's very fast. It's almost indistinguishable. We almost can't see it because it's so fast. Um, light just seems to appear. We just see things because of the speed at which it travels. I remember some science fiction stuff when I was a kid talking about traveling at the speed of light. Um, probably impossible, right? I mean, it's just too fast. But the truth is that the light that we know best that kind of makes life possible for us here on this planet is the sun. And the sun provides light for us that our plants allow our plants to grow, which then provides food. Um, you know, I'm glad that I don't just get, get to eat plants, but I get to eat the animals that eat the plants. Like, I'm thankful for that. But anyway, the sun provides all of that. It allows life to exist. And so um, we know how important it is. The reality is, however, that the sun, which is basically a ball of gas, different kinds of gases, that some point that sun is going to burn out. It's going to run out of fuel. And it's going to cease to provide light and energy for our universe. And so that is the truth of it. At this Christmas season, 
as we look at light today and as we look at the scriptures, we recognize that we worship a God who provides light for us that cannot be extinguished. We'll never cease to burn. Because the God that we worship and serve, the God of the Bible, is an is a eternal God. He never had a beginning, never will have an end, but has existed and will exist forever. That light will never be extinguished. I want the source of light from my life to be a light that can't burn out, a light that can't fail, a light that will never not be there in my life. And so it's a powerful light. It's a powerful God that we worship. As we look at the scriptures, we see that Jesus came into the world. And there's something interesting here that we're going to see in the next couple of uh, passages that we look at. But Jesus is called, um, he's the God-man, right? Came from heaven to earth, took on flesh, as Ken said, the incarnation. And so there is a life, Jesus' life, that the Bible says brought light into our world. Illumination, so that we could see. And that light, it says, the light that he brought brings life to us as human beings. So his life came to earth and brought brought light. And the light that he brought can bring life to those of us that put our trust in him. And so it's really interesting that... um, that boomerang effect of how it works in us. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 says this. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. And nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave, uh, gave life to everything that was created. And His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness... And the darkness cannot consume it, or excuse me, can never extinguish it. Light brings illumination. It allows us to see. John uses this illustration, this metaphor of light in regards to Jesus' life, because that's simply, in some sense, what Jesus did. He came to reveal to us who God is so that we can see our existence. We can see ourselves as we are. We can see God as he really is. There was confusion at the time Jesus came to the earth about who God was, what God expected of uh, this human race that he created. There was confusion about it. There wasn't clarity. And so Jesus comes to bring clarity. John chapter 8, verse 12 says this, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. If there's not enough light if you've been, uh, tried to get up in the middle of the night, right? Trying to ma- muddle around your house. You don't have a nightlight lit or you don't have enough light. Then everything looks dark. Everything looks black. And you can't see with clarity what it is that you're running into that you just, uh, you know, knocked your shin into, right? You realize after you did it, but you can't see it ahead of time. There's not a clear path to walk. And the reality is that, um, that we live in this life without the light of Jesus there is a dim view of life that we have. We can accept a life that isn't complete. Um, The reality, you know, as we look at the scripture and and the, the light that Jesus brings, the illumination that he brings to our life, brings clarity, an awareness of who we are and who God is. Um, Without it, there is nothing but confusion. Jesus brought the truth to us. He brought the truth to this world. Um, in the days that we live, it seems that the definition of truth and what it is, is changing. 
Truth is being termed in, uh, as a subjective thing. Subjective means it's open to interpretation. Well, uh, what do you think the truth is? I don't know. What do you think the truth is? Well, this is the truth to me, and this is the truth to you, and they're both true. And this is how we're trying to navigate our culture. It's getting uh, more prevalent all the time, especially in regards to the spiritual realm and the supernatural, certainly, to who God is, all that. There's always been a little bit of that, but it's creeping into the rest of our existence. I think someday um, there'll be kids sitting in a math class and they'll go, I did the math problem and I came up with an answer and the teacher will say, that's wrong. And they will say, that's right to me, right? That's what I think the answer is. That's my truth. I mean, it's scary, but it looks, it just seems sometimes like that's where we're headed. And yet the reality is that truth is not subjective. Jesus coming to the earth revealed God to us and it's not open to interpretation as to who he was and who God is, what God expects of us. It is objective. Truth, real truth, doesn't have um, this uh, thing where it's defined by observation or the person that's processing it, but it has its own identity. It, has, it contains what is um, a definition of itself in and of itself. Truth is not subjective when it comes to God. And Jesus brought for us a light of illumination that allows us to see who God really is and the truth about our lives. When we look at that light, when we allow the light that Jesus brings to shine on us and on our world, there's an illumination that reveals who we really are. We need that truth. We need that light. Or else we're going to interpret things in the wrong way. We're going to come up with our own idea of what we should do and shouldn't do. And yet the truth is God had an intention when he created us. As human beings, we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. There is a plan that God has for our lives. There's a way that he wants us to live. And apart from God, we walk in a direction that is dictated by our own opinions and our own desires and our own will. And that walks us away from God. The scriptures say that actually the truth of it is that we're enemies of God before we acknowledge Jesus and put our trust in him. We're actually working in opposition to him. And there aren't many people in the world that say they're an enemy of God, but that's the truth of what Jesus revealed to us. The truth is that we are condemned already because we haven't put our trust in him. We aren't walking in the light, and our lives are, do not look like what God intended. There's, a, there's an accountability there. There's a reality there. And it can be scary to encounter the light and to walk into the truth and be willing to engage that. It can be terrifying. There can be confusion as to what the truth is. But Jesus brings clarity. The life of Jesus brought the light of truth about God to everyone. This light will bring life to everyone who receives it. The subjective nature of Jesus is only the only thing that dictates whether or not different people experience him the same way is based on their openness to the truth. Their openness to accept who Jesus is, to see him for who he is. That's the only thing that differs as to why one person might have life transformation and believe he's the savior of the world and put their trust in him and another would not. It's not because of the nature of who he is and whether or not that is true. We need to acknowledge and see Jesus for who he is. Then we can walk in the light. John 1, 10 through 13 says this, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own, he came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right 
to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. See, when we believe in Jesus, when we accept him, we put our trust in him, the scriptures say that Jesus puts the light in our hearts. He puts the light of truth inside of us. And this is why it looks different after Jesus for people to follow God. Before Jesus came, there was an external light that shined on the world. It was called the law. And it certainly gave people a knowledge of what God wanted them to do and how he wanted them to live. But they were unable to follow it in such a way that they could obtain forgiveness and perfection because it was an external law. It wasn't transforming the inside of them. But when Jesus came, he brought light and light that could be could be um, put in us so that we could embody it, we could live it. The truth could come from inside of us in that sense. We would have the truth of God in us so we could live and follow him. 2 Corinthians uh, 4, 5, and 6 says this. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we, uh, we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts. So we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. The story of Christmas in Luke chapter 2, we read um, an accounting of Jesus' birth and some things that happened around the time that he was born. One of the most amazing, um, or one of the, the really cool aspects of the Christmas story, pieces of it, if you will, is that after Mary and Joseph made their way to Bethlehem, they, uh, Jesus was born there, right? We know that part. And then it says that there were shepherds outside of town guarding their sheep. And uh, what we know about sheep is that, and, and shepherds at that time, is that there weren't... Um, there weren't like as many fences and all that like we experience here where our uh, sheep graze in certain areas based on ownership of land. But they would, gra- they would have a little more freedom to move around. And so the shepherds had to be with them all the time to guide them and direct them and get them to water and to a food source. Make sure that they were safe. Protect them from wild animals. Wolves and, and uh, bears would attack. And people would come and try to steal them. And so the shepherds stayed with them all the time. They were with them through the night. And so on this particular night, there were shepherds that were guarding some sheep out in the country. And, uh, and in Luke chapter 2, um, this is what it said, verses 9 and 11, regarding this, uh, this scene, what happens, what takes place. It says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will be great joy or will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. See, the glory of God was all around them and they're terrified. The glory of God is, the, um, is contained in the presence of God. It's the essence of God's nature that, is, uh, that flows from him. And it, is, uh, it radiates from his being. And the Bible tells us that no one can look at God and live. And the reason for this is that the, the glory of God is so intense. And in this case, the shepherd's saw was so bright. It was a bright, shocking, terrifying light. It scared them to death. They thought perhaps that they wouldn't live through an encounter with it. That's the nature of a holy God. And, and being exposed to him is terrifying scares us to death as it did with the shepherds. But this glory is something that the angel came and reassured them not to be terrified. But God's presence is light. It's powerful, intense, and it would kill you if you're exposed to it. 
But here's the cool thing. In the face of Jesus, the glory of God is presented, is shown to us in such a way that we can encounter God himself. We can look on him. The Apostle John said we touched him. We walked with him. Uh, We experienced life with him. That immense power and glory that is terrifying, that would kill us, that light so bright that we can't be exposed to it, in Jesus is made um, uh, one that we can relate to and connect with. We can see him and look at him. Um, It's an amazing miracle that took place in the incarnation when God became flesh. That light that would be destructive to us in its raw form, directly coming from God, becomes a light that is healing. It's illuminating. It exposes in our lives areas that are broken and fragmented and allows us to, through the power of God, be healed. That same light that would be destructive is healing. The glory of God. And how does God make his light shine in us? Paul says he puts it in our hearts. See, the reality is that the truth of God then enters us. And we walk through this life with an awareness, with a growing knowledge of who God is and what he wants from us. It changes the way that we look at ourselves. Our life is illuminated. And, um, and we grow in that as we move through this life, as we walk with him. There's an ever-increasing awareness of who God is. My, um, my brokenness and the areas I fall short and the areas that God wants to heal me and bring strength to my life. This, this is a growing effect that happens as I walk with God through my life. Studies show um, that Christians use a different part of their brain when they, um, when they uh, evaluate their own behavior. So a person that doesn't believe in God uses two parts of their brains to evaluate their moral behavior and how they're doing in life. They use one part of their brain for themselves and another part of the brain for others. And so there's an evaluation process that isn't, um, it, it's using different parts of the brain in a different, actually a different cognitive process of evaluation. And a lot of that evaluation is based on comparison. How am I doing compared to someone else? I know when I was a kid, I know you'll find this hard to believe, but I would get in trouble on occasion. And uh, I've grown out of all that and pretty much perfect now. But um, but no, I would... (laughs) so, So my mom would get on me. I'd be like, listen... At least I didn't kill anybody, mom. Like, at least I didn't do something horrible. Like, take it easy on me, you know? And so I'm comparing, right? The standard, um, never, that never worked with my mom, but, um, but I tried. And so, uh, but we do that as we're evaluating, comparing ourselves. And without God, we say, what, uh, how do I compare against others? And our moral, um, our moral decisions about what we think right and wrong is changes too. How we evaluate ourselves. You know, one of the things I've noticed in our culture, and it's kind of been going this direction, but it's certainly um, gotten much stronger at this point, is um, what young couples, this is just an example, and I don't mean to pick on anybody with it, but it's an example of, of how this can change. So um, a couple falls in love, right? And they go, we want to get married. And, um, and in our culture today, they will be encouraged by virtually everyone they know to... Um, to live together for a time just to make sure that it's the right thing to do to get married. Like, this is common wisdom in our culture. And it, it sounds like it makes sense. I mean, literally, their friends will tell them, their parents will tell them, everyone will say, this is what you need to do. Because there's so many divorces, so many marriages don't work. You need to check first to make sure that this is the right direction to go. And it sounds kind of wise. It sounds like it might make sense. Like, yeah, there are a lot of marriages that fail. Let's check to see if we're compatible 
first before we get married, right? The reality is, though, that a person who's evaluating themselves not based on what everyone else is saying or what the culture around them is doing or comparing themselves to others, but they're evaluating themselves based off of what God thinks, will say, wait a minute, that advice isn't right. Um, my daughter and uh, her now husband were going to get married, and uh, his parent, like his family, encouraged them to live together. You guys need to live together. And they just go, look, we just don't believe that. It's not what we believe. We're not following the common wisdom in the world. See, a, a Christian or a person that believes in God evaluates their behavior, not off of uh, comparison to others, but a comparison to God. What does God think of what I'm doing? And they use a different, they just use one part of their brain, the same part as they evaluate others' uh, actions, they evaluate their own. And so here they're going through life saying, listen, I'm not comparing myself, am I good or bad based on how other people are doing and how I relate to that, but I'm comparing myself to what God wants. And I evaluate others off that same comparison. And so young couple like uh, my daughter and son-in-law said, no, we're not going to live together because God says in the scriptures, the truth of God's word says that that isn't how we should do this, that we need to save ourselves right? No sexual immorality. Don't interact sexually before we get married. And there shouldn't even be a hint of that. And so if we're to live together, we know we couldn't convince anybody that we're not sleeping together. So we're not going to do that, right? And so they fought to honor what God says and to follow his direction. And this is what happens when the light comes into our lives. We have the truth of God inside of us and we can evaluate not against what's going on in the world, but what are we supposed to do in relation to what God says? What does he think? How does God want me to handle this situation? And it, it's a different kind of evaluation. It's a different way to live life. But it produces, according to Scripture, the real life that God intended for us to have. Without the truth of God, we walk around in darkness. We bump into things. We see things only uh, dimly. Everything looks black to us. It's not clear. The color isn't there. We don't know what we're supposed to do. When we come into the light... We, we put our trust in Jesus. The light of God is put inside of us and the truth begins to transform and change us. And this is a powerful process. It allows us to live for God. It allows us to live a life that we were intended to live. Jesus says, without me, you don't have life. You can pursue this world and you'll lose your life. But he says, anybody that's willing to give up their life for my sake will actually gain life. These are, uh, seem to be, you know, mysterious words. But the truth is, all he's saying is that if you let go of control of your life, quit trying to live the way you want, quit trying to do what you think is right and wrong, quit following your own code. Instead, give up control of that, put your trust in me and allow me to lead you, let my truth guide you, then you'll see in the end what you gain is the real life I intended you to have. You'll, you'll be able to do the good that I really made you to do. You'll understand the purpose behind your existence. Instead of wondering why you're here and thinking it's just to be successful in this arena or experience these things, instead of that, which is a low level of life expectation, you'll understand your life has internal meaning, that you're able to do things and accomplish things uh, that God intended for you to do before you were created, before you were born. And you'll be able to realize the real purpose for your life. See, something happens when Jesus puts this light in our hearts, and that is this, that this light brings power. This light brings power. The truth of God, the presence of God, brings a power into our lives that is 
um, impossible for those not following him. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Paul says here that we are like fragile clay jars. Um, you know, through my life, seen a lot of pictures and books of archaeological digs, right, where there's this old stuff from ancient civilizations. I've even been to a couple of, you know, kind of museum displays of maybe ancient Rome or, you know, history. <clears throat> and you always see uh, some clay, you know, some type of clay um, jar or something that was made. And typically, it's just fragments of it, right? You don't see very many of those that are still whole and all together. And if they are, they have, they have notches out of them. Or they've been broken. Why? Because clay, clay jars aren't very strong. They weren't meant to last through, uh, you know, thousands of years and past uh, the time. They're, they're meant to be used for a short period of time. They're fragile. And so Paul says, listen, we are like fragile clay jars. We are not strong enough. We're not powerful enough to contain the presence of God in our lives. And he goes, listen, that's just the way it is. That's the reality. We live uh, a mortal life. Um, we aren't perfect. We, don't, we have um, you know, faults and, and shortcomings. We're not strong. And so the power of God is something that when at work in us, others can see it is not by our own strength that we're doing the things we're doing. Um, it's interesting to me that I lived long enough now to have gone through seasons when I thought, I'm going to handle this on my own. I'm strong enough. And uh, certainly gone through seasons like that. And I meet people fairly frequently that have that same perspective. I'm a strong person. Mentally tough. I know how to navigate this life. There's anything that's going to crush me. And I just think to myself that that, while looks like a strong position, is the weakest position that you can live your life in. Because it's dishonest. You're not aware of your weakness and your, uh, the fragility of your life. And so I think those people oftentimes are setting up for a greater fall. I know it certainly has happened to me. My greatest uh, times of, of struggle and being broken were times that I thought I was the strongest. Just before that, bam, life hit and everything went. But when I realized, hey, I'm weak, I know I have weaknesses. When I was honest, walking in the light, aware of my shortcomings and walking with those, allowing an uh, all-powerful God to work through me, was a much more sustainable, um, less painful way to live. Recognizing our weaknesses, recognizing the frail nature of who we are, is just honest. It, get, it allows us to have an awareness of the truth. And the light of Jesus that shines in our lives illuminates this. God reveals to us that it is not, it is not us able to do great things for God, but it is only by God's power flowing through us, that great things are accomplished. And we are able to do great things. Jesus himself said that those who come after me, those of you that come after me, will do the same things I did and even greater things, which is, seems ridiculous in some ways. The reason he said that is not because we would become greater people than he was. It's because he knew the Spirit of God was coming and the Holy Spirit walking in us and through us and the light of the truth of Jesus illuminating our lives would allow us to do incredible things for God. 
would allow God's power to flow through us. Paul just says, listen, here's the reason that this happens. It's that I'm a weak person. I'm a fragile person. The great things that are happening need to be proof to others. They need to be able to see that it is God himself doing it and not me. Are you living your life by the power of God? Are you tapped into the truth, the light of God? Is it, are you allowing the light of God to illuminate your life? Are you allowing that truth to expose and to bring out ever increasingly areas that you can grow in and change in? Uh, oftentimes when I see somebody come to Jesus and, you know, the first year or two is really exciting and they're changing. And even the people around them, their friends and family say, man, you're a different person. But how many of you have been walking with Jesus for a while? Did those around you that you love and know say, hey, you're different than you were last year. You've changed. Like that needs to continue to happen, right? I mean, if you meet me a year from now, and you know me, and you know the quality of my life, and what I'm doing, and how I'm working, you should see some change. You should see some transformation. You should see the truth and the light of God having worked in my life in such a way that I'm stronger a year from now. I'm more uh, dependent on God a year from now. Something's changed in my character. It's grown to be more like God. We are meant to reflect a holy God with our lives. That's how we were intended to live. We need to allow his light to continue to transform us, the power of his presence to move us to a better place, a place that more reflects him. Sometimes we can flatline. We can walk through life and think, you know, I kind of know what this is about. I know most of the Bible. I've studied it. I've read it. I've, I've gotten rid of the really bad things. You know, I don't lie anymore, and I don't cheat. I don't steal, and I'm not getting drunk every weekend. Whatever. You know, I've gotten to a better place, and so I've kind of, I'm doing pretty good. And we can kind of accept a level of life that is good, but it's not great. It's not the place where God wants to take us. See, I want to tell you, no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, there's more God has for you. There's more that he wants to do in your life. There's more that he has to accomplish through you. Are you allowing the light of Jesus to shine into your heart, exposing the areas, the power that comes with the light of truth to change and transform you? Are you allowing God to work through you? We just finished a series not long ago called Be the Message. And the goal of it was to be the gospel, to live in such a way that others can see the gospel in us and through us as we live our lives. The only way that can happen, guys, is that is the power of God is shining through my life. Listen, I'm not, uh, I haven't achieved perfection. I haven't gotten to that place yet where everything I do and say reflects God. And so the reality is, and I think Paul is indicating it here, we're fragile uh, creatures. We're, we are. We struggle. We're going to have bad days and good days. There's going to be times when, uh, man, I feel like I'm just walking in the power of the Spirit and it's working. People can see Jesus in my life. And there's going to be days when I don't want to be around anybody because they're going to just think that I don't even know God. You know, I mean, we walk through life this way. But the reality is, it's not me and everything I do that affects whether or not someone can see God. It is the fact that the power and the light of God's inside of me. Now, yes, I've got to be obedient. I've got to be obedient. I've got to walk in the light. I can't be scared to walk into that light and allow my deeds and my life and my motivations and everything to be exposed. I've got to walk into that willingly and say, God, I want you to change me. I want you to transform me. I want to encourage you and ask you today, can you walk into this Christmas season in such a way that the light of Christmas is seen in your life. 
Can you walk into this Christmas season in such a way that you are focused in on and remembering what Christmas is really all about? It's not about all of the, all the stuff that we see in our culture and that we do. It's about Jesus and the, the hope that he brings and the life that he brings. My prayer for all of us as a church is that we can do that. That people can see the inextinguishable light, the light of the world. They can see that light in our lives. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth that you bring to bear in each one of us. How you shine on our lives and reveal who we are. You help us to see who you are. You begin to grow us and change us. And Father, I just pray that you would speak into the lives of each one of us, that we might reassert our commitment, our willingness to have your light shine in us, that your truth would bring to bear and reveal the areas of our lives where your power needs to be brought, where transformation needs to happen. Help us to continue to grow. Help us to continue to reach out, to love the people around us so that they can see who you are in our lives. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.